There was a basket of lemons on the table. They were fake little yellow things that were meant to demonstrate quirkiness to visitors. Of course, Mom was quirky. You wanted her to be, to believe her. If there was a normal basket of fake fruit, then you would think she was more grounded, more boring, less real. Real in the sense that her clients thought of her. And real in the sense that I remember the time when there had been another basket of lemons sitting there, rotting, brown. They tossed up a putrid odor that scoured the entire room and the rooms beyond. She had many more clients back then. I'd never seen my mother. At least, I hadn't until one month ago, right about at the same time that I replaced that basket of fruit. That's no coincidence, of course. But yeah, I hadn't seen my mom until a month ago. That's the real weird part of the story, right? Not the part where there was a basket of fake fruit or real fruit earlier on. It's just when I pictured her, I tried to piece together the shadows I saw cast on the wall, flickers in the candlelight. And I never really... I never got a cohesive picture, because she was a shadow, a nothing, a mystery. And I can't really think of something you'd want to be a mystery less than your own dang parents. So, in lieu of everything else, I associated her with that basket of fruit. It was the one thing I never saw Dad touch. Twenty years is a long time. Well, maybe not to you, random 80-year-old my voice is reaching, but when it's 20 years attached to so bizarre a concept as not knowing what your mom looks like when you apparently live in the same house, well, can you, can you even imagine how awkward it was for me at school? Because, of course, as a child, I didn't know that I should have kept my mouth shut about that. I was ostracized by pretty much everyone for being weird, shunned for being rich, too, mostly just because of where I lived. But if you had known the emptiness of that place. But nobody knew. Nobody understood. They were kids, and I was expressly forbidden from even letting them onto the grounds. Because, of course, I was. It was a serious place for serious people. And it just meant, all in all, that every time I so much as gave a glance to anyone, I was shunned. I was as alone in school as I was at home craning my ear to the edge of the light to understand just what the heck was going on in the middle of the chamber of my house. The door never closed. There was a door to her chambers. I've had it removed since, but it was there. An old oak thing, fine construction, but it was nailed straight onto the wall. The nails formed a pattern, a long, sharp, zigzagging one from the corner down to the floor. It looked something like a protracted S. I remember there was one weekend in summer when I was in junior high when I had tried to dig through the library for a book with a picture of that symbol. And I certainly couldn't find it online. I went up tearing through so many books that I littered the floor of them, Mrs. Hackins yelled at me to clean it up. It was the only time I ever heard her raise her voice. We've been on good terms since then, thank the Lord. But it, anyways... I spent so much of my childhood obsessed with questions I was explicitly forbidden from seeking. Forbidden by my dad, of course, because my mom couldn't so much as mail me a birthday card. 
I was also, of course, forbidden from entering her chambers, for the fear that I would look at her and wind up like one of the statues in the ditch out back. Have I lost you? Well, I lost myself multiple times along the road, so you're in good company. There was a ditch in the garden. Mind you, the garden had once been a wonderful thing, filled with more flowers than you could possibly imagine. But that was well before my time, and whenever I looked at it, I only ever saw an overgrown mess. Ferns, weed, grass, all competed with each other in and out of little stone lines. My dad had never bothered to take care of it, and I... Well, you can't expect a child to just take up gardening, can you? Right in the middle of this garden, a large ditch was carved into the earth, like a giant had taken a sword and swung it into the ground. Red clay weeped out of the dark brown soil, soil that the plants would never touch for some forsaken reason. And in that ditch were three lifelike statues of young boys. Extremely lifelike, different only from the human form and their composition of stone instead of meat. I was supposed to not look at Mom because of that. Because she was Medusa? Obviously not. I saw her silhouette as she... Whatever the heck she did back there with her patrons. There were no snakes in her hair, and the people who entered never came out of stone either. No, they came out with that glassy-eyed stare, that blissful smile. But I was just threatened with those statues, their wide, wide eyes frozen in surprise. None of it ever made sense, even living in that house for most of the day. You better believe that I escaped from it every chance I got. With time, I managed to scrounge together a couple of friends, and I would duck out to their place to play video games or whatever as often as I could. Frankly, Davy's house we got to the point where it felt more like home than the place where my family lived. It was warm, inviting. His siblings and parents talked, argued, laughed. They had good food, and there were loads of family portraits hanging everywhere, and... It was a damn shame he moved. I never really recovered from that, emotionally. My home, such as it was, was limbo. Every second dragged out to two. I would frequently stand just at the precipice of Mom's chambers to listen in, but even as I trained my ear to eavesdrop, I never heard more than whispers and the creaking of chairs. Plus, I never could listen long. If Dad caught me, he was always a beating, even when I was a teenager. Just... I had to find an answer, but nobody believed my story. Obviously. Things played out about as well as you would ever thought they would. Because of my upbringing, I was weird, nobody talked to me, so... Well, everyone thought I was making everything up. The one thing people did agree on, if they agreed on anything, was that my house was indeed creepy. And they also agreed that parents should do more about the bushes by the gate, and that they really ought to go to church on Sunday, because you know, if you didn't... I was going to burn in hell, too. Yes, that was reassuring. I was basically adrift at home with no real guidance, and I was despised and reviled by the public. So I could do nothing but keep my ear open. I got to sketching the faces of the people who visited, noting down trends in their behavior, their ethnicity, age, the amount they paid, blah blah. It was meaningless data, but it made me feel like I was getting somewhere. And that was all I needed at first. I just needed to feel like I was doing something. 
with my investigation proceeding, I had freed up enough mental space to at least try and be a little normal. It was ridiculous that I had to engage that idea at all, but that was just the lot life threw at me. It worked. Kind of. Freshman year of high school was almost okay. I even got some more friends. I had figured that Davy had been it, that there'd never be anyone else, you know, but... You know what? I just pivoted the crazy story I had about my parents into being just a story. Made up. Fiction. Instead of simply being a messed up kid, I was now this beacon of creativity. My hundreds of real theories about what my mom could be seen as fragments of brilliance. I was still obnoxious, of course, just not nearly as annoying as I had been previously. Plus, it's around that age that a generally pessimistic view of life and fate gets you into all sort of goth friend groups. So I found one, and my new best friend, Toby. Toby was a smart guy, whip-smart and real witty. We bonded primarily over our family lives, or lack thereof. Toby's dad had done the classic thing where he had just finished overnight when he was a baby, presumably for cigarettes. He was raised by his mom alongside three siblings, all much older than him. By the time he was in middle school, they'd all moved out to find jobs in other states. So, he was alone most of the time, since his mom worked evenings. His poor childhood was a godsend for me. Instead of going back home to that desolate, decaying manor, I could instead hang out at his mess of an apartment. We spent so much time talking, watching TV, blah blah, all the good stuff. It was just that, after three weeks of living the good life at his place, he started getting interested in mine. I had told him fringe details about it in my poetry, but had never, well, invited him there. For obvious reasons. Dad would always snarl at the idea of visitors. Sometimes literally snarl. Problem was, of course, that our town was small. Is small. Will always be small. There's not that many decrepit manners around. In fact, there was just one. So he figured out where I lived real quick and started pestering me about it. He thought that the palatial sized a statement that we were rich and that I was skimping on our friendship. After all, he would pay for the meals most of the time when we hung out. Or his mom did. Same thing, essentially, and it wasn't like they were swimming in cash. He began to think I was manipulating him, essentially. The mystery of my life had ceased to be a sort of gothic attraction and had become a wedge that was going to drive us apart. As someone with a thin history of friendship, I wasn't going to let that happen. So, after he begged me for the hundredth time, I agreed to show him the house. He loved it. He loved how it squeaked. He loved the sheer amount of space. He loved the smell of old cloth and books that wafted up from the upstairs. The place reeked of history, essentially, and Toby was all for that. What he did not love, however was how my dad greeted him when he found us chatting in the kitchen, eating bags of chips. And let's be honest, I'm being coy here. My dad, without saying anything, picked him up out of his chair and pinned him to the wall. And then he broke his nose. We didn't talk after that. I think his mom pressed charges. I never saw the police come, but then I figured the police were in on my parents' whole operation anyways. From then on out, he would whisper to others about me and my friendships, and therefore my happiness, were ever more vanishingly short.
I graduated, top 10% of my class somehow, mostly by virtue of my English grades. And then, and then I started looking for work. Nobody would hire me. Even Bob at the local burger shack wouldn't take me. Everyone knew who I was and what my family represented. I was too bad of news to be anywhere where I wasn't required to be by federal law. So I was stuck at home. I took up gardening, made the estate bloom in a way my dad never did. I managed to sell a little bit of my produce down at the farmer's market, and I pocketed what I could, hoping against hope that I'd be able to save enough to run away to a place where I was nobody. And then May 5th happened. This May 5th. There wasn't anything special about it, other than it was a Sunday and I'd taken up the habit of going to church. It was a vain project, just to try and get people to think I was normal enough to accept into society. And it was a free, good meal to boot, you know, afterwards. So I was coming home from church when I realized that Dad's truck was missing from the driveway. He usually only left the estate to get groceries or go to the bank or something. But I remembered from our mumbled conversation the night before that he was going out of town to find something for Mom. An anniversary gift, I think it was. The driveway was empty. The watchman was gone. I had time. I was free. I had the blessing of God on me. There wasn't going to be a more opportune moment, not in my entire life. After all, my mom's sanctuary was just there, right past the lemons. I always wanted to know what she was, and why wouldn't I? I wanted to escape her, but I had to know the face of what had made my life so miserable. There was a reason. I would find that reason. I walked to the edge of the interior hallway, to the same spot where I stopped to listen to my clients. I could feel my heart bleeding, or maybe it was my stomach churning, lashing acids up and out into the rest of my body. Every inch of my soul knew that what I was about to do would dictate my life forever. That's a special kind of nervousness. I had run through a trillion possible scenarios in my head. There was not a single one where things didn't fundamentally change. In most of them, I died, plain and simple. The only way for things to not change cataclysmically was, well, to turn aside as I had done a hundred thousand other times. I wasn't going to do that. I knew I wasn't going to do that. Even though I only eked myself closer to the threshold by a millimeter a minute, I was going to see. The farce that had been my life would be over, and almost certainly for good. Even if laying my eyes on what my mom was killed me, then that was still good. Still good. I didn't know what death was, but it had to be better than life. Even if it was nothing, that nothing couldn't beat me with a belt for 17 years for the base fact that I had curiosity baked into my genes. Millimeter by millimeter, I hardly edged my feet off the floor. I could hear every single squeak as I laid my weight down on the hundred-year-old timber. In fact, I could almost hear the bugs skitter between the paneling. Minutes passed. I had gone beyond one single stripe of the grapevine wallpaper that marked the hallway. I was suddenly seized by a demented energy. I was going to change my life, and I wasn't going to do it so slowly. Every centimeter was pain. Every second was another that my heart pounded itself senseless. 
and I allowed myself to drown in the boiling oceans of stress that constituted my mind. I picked up my feet, one by one, two by two. I blinked. It was an ordinary room. Old, yes, very old. It looked like it had been plucked straight out of the Victorian era, and it was musty and dry, and... And there she was. That was it. The answer that created a trillion questions. That was the thing that people met, that bound me in chains. Had she been alive at some point? Wasn't I meant to be turning into stone? What on earth could any of it... She was a skeleton. Well, almost a skeleton. Her flesh was as desiccated and dark as those mummies that they dig out of the Egyptian desert. Her clothes were intact, though. A Victorian sundress, complete with hat. She was a corpse. And she was just... sitting there. My heart slowed down. There wasn't a mystery. Not really. Just a kind of... madness. That's all it was. My dad was a maniac. My mom, if she existed, it was as a mortal woman I never met. Maybe my dad wasn't even my dad. He had picked up this mummy from the Middle East and brought it to the South to use as a stupid kind of new-agey tourist attraction. The people who came to the house were only here to look upon the visage of death and use that to solve the problems in their head, whatever those problems were. It was a fabrication. The most stupid, boring answer. But it was almost comforting. The corpse wasn't moving around, it wasn't speaking in my mind, nor was it sucking the air from my lungs. It was stupid and evil and twisted, but nothing more. I could go and live a normal life. Normal-ish. Normal and terrible. I'd have to cut ties with my dad and start from scratch, with decades of trauma lashed to my mind. But there were worse lives out there. Not many, but some. And then I heard the growl of an engine. I'd heard that growl a million times and I dreaded it every single one. It was Dad's truck. He was back. I looked down at the ground. The room was so musty it was coated in a fine layer of dust. If I looked close enough I could see my footprints breaking through. He was back. He would know. He would kill me. The front door opened. I moved to bolt out, run outside, leave, forever. But he was faster. So fast. His every movement was a blur, like he was an Olympic sprinter. His eyes were replete with crimson, and his mouth was coated in slobber so thick it matted his beard. He clicked his tongue and shrieked as I tried to dodge out of the way of his rampage. He caught my left arm and nearly yanked it out of his socket. What have you done? He shrieked. He raised his right arm in a fist, ready to punch the ever-living daylights out of me. But he didn't. A simple yelp clipped off his tongue. The red in his eyes grew, darkened. The veins in his arms seemed to expand. His vice-like grip around my wrist tightened, and I could almost see my flesh turn purple. And then it loosened. In one moment, the red overtook every single square inch of his eyes, and then 
Everything loosened. He collapsed in a puddle of his own limbs on the ground, seemingly in a coma. And that's when he dried up, cracked into pieces, and turned into a fine red mist that blew away with the turning of the ceiling fan outside. Even his clothes. I stood there, mouth agape, because, well, you know, that's not a thing that happens. That's not a thing that could happen, not in a billion trillion years. But eventually, I just had to believe what my eyes and ears were telling me. I turned around, mouth now closed, to look at the corpse that was supposed to be my mother. Emptiness. A tinge of black mist lining the antique chair. No sundress or mummy in sight. I exploded with laughter. Yes, laughter. Laughter in the face of disaster, of freedom, of being alone, of finally being in a place that welcomed me. But it was madness. The place still hated me. It prodded me with pincers, begged me to find answers. I turned over the entire center room in a bed to find something, anything. There was no writing, there were no books. There weren't even engraved symbols on the tea table or on the china cabinet. The accessories were just old things. Old cups, old... I, I don't even know. There was nothing, nothing. I had killed, uh, destroyed my parents, and I could not for the life of me explain how. The following few days were hell on earth. See, while I was ransacking the sanctuary room, I breathed in a lot of that death dust. It clogged my lungs and put me in bed for three whole days. I sat there swimming in and out of consciousness, not eating, not going to the doctor, and nobody called. I lost five pounds. But I got up. I picked myself up and onto my feet and became the person I am now. An answerless person who has had to turn away dozens of cars from the gates, saying that Madame Therese is indisposed, or whatever else will keep them from honking. Oh yes, I, I tried getting answers from them too. Fat load of luck that was. I tried with the first three cars. They yelled at me, cursed me. One, the last lady, called me a miltso. I have no idea what that is, but I'm pretty sure that's an insult. When that travesty was done, I got on the phone and did the one thing I'd never been able to do. I called for a pizza delivery. From hell to heaven in just a couple of days. And to think I was missing out on that cheesy, convenient goodness for... For what? Emptiness. A boiling emptiness. I tried to swim away, but there is no shore I can go to. I am here. I cannot be here. Honestly, I, I kind of want to move out. Just go to the opposite end of the earth, bury my head in the sand, and let that be my life. Just nothing. I could probably swing Scotland if they'd let me in. That's real far away, and they speak English, so... Uh, but I know I can't. Not won't be able to. Can't. I technically own the entire damn estate now, and that means all sorts of things. One of which is that I'm going to have to pay the taxes on everything. That's a lot. And I guess I could sell the whole space for a pittance, say a couple hundred thousand dollars or so, but how long would that take? But that's not the real reason, of course. That's just an excuse. The real reason I can't leave is, well, 
I need to find answers. I discovered next to nothing, and that just feels... It feels like all the time I'm dragging a knot around in my stomach. Nothing about what my family was matches up with anything I've ever been taught. Nothing. No story that I've ever heard. It doesn't match up with science, classical conceptions of magic, Christianity, Islam, Egyptian or Greek mythology. It just is, or was, or still is. I don't know, and it's scary. And it's not just that I lost the whole beginning of my life to it, it's that, well, the questions I have swimming around in my head seem more important than anything else, aside from putting food in my belly and tucking myself into a warm bed at night. I don't think that I could ever return to society. Not that I was ever accepted in society anyways. It would just feel like wearing a second skin, never being me. Sure, I could get out there and try and find a normal job, get normal friends, get married, have kids, blah de blah all that jazz, but this would still be here. Always. Unanswered. So I say this not for you, but for myself. Fundamentally, you won't believe me. That's good for you. You'll think that this is some sort of story, conjured for the purposes of bewildering you. Fair enough. But it doesn't change the core, fundamental reason any of these words have graced the air. They comfort me. They make me think I'm one step closer to an answer, any answer, that will piece together the madness that has been my earlier life. And that's all it ever had to be. A fake thing approximating the real. A basket of plastic lemons on the counter. The smell's still there, rotting, putrid, sweet. I wonder how long it will last, how long the fake reproduction of mystery takes over the mystery itself. <laughs>